This is the Calvary Bible Church Podcast. Thanks for listening in today. We're praying this message encourages you. Learn more about Calvary and join us online each Sunday for services at calvarybible.com. All six of us, my wife and I and our four young kids, were huddled together in this old camping trailer. The winds were beating against the canvas sides. The roof was shaking and at times lifting up. That forecasted storm that we had been warned about had finally arrived in full force. And my kids were burying their faces in our chest and our side. And our older girls turned to their mother and said, are we going to be okay, mom? We are so scared. My wife looked down at them and said, look at your dad. Does your dad seem to be scared? They looked at me, I looked back at them. They said, no, dad doesn't seem to be scared. And and then their mother replied to them, well, if dad doesn't seem to be scared, you don't need to be scared. When dad is scared, then we can all be scared. As the winds hit again, they buried their faces against in our chest and our side. My wife caught eyes with me and mouthed, I'm freaking out. I smiled at her and said, Me too. (laughs) The storm was incredibly loud for several hours. We eventually left this camper trailer and went back to the car and the kids fell asleep in the car as the storm came and passed and we were okay. But there's something about fear that really gets your heart pumping. It's like all of a sudden adrenaline is pumping through your body and you feel like you have to do something. Did you know God actually wired you that way? It's a great human characteristic that God gave us. When we sense a threat of fear, whether it's perceived or real, when we're afraid, something physiologically happens in our body, in our minds. There's things that happen in our mind that suppress our appetites, that actually suppress certain systems like our digestive systems in case we had to run for a long period of time. Our senses, what we see and hear, smell, and even taste, are heightened when we're afraid. It's so that we can face the threats, address them, survive, and be okay. But what happens if you stay in a constant state of fear? People call this chronic fear. Perhaps you grew up in certain neighborhoods or places in the world where you experienced continual threats to your safety continual questions about assurance or threats to your life or other means that made you afraid. This is perpetual states of being in fear. We might even say anxieties of sorts. And it can have detrimental consequences to our physical, mental, and spiritual health. You see, what's supposed to happen is that our fear mechanisms will kick in with a, we will address the threat. The threat will then go away at some point, and all of our body's physiological responses will come back down to normal. But staying in a chronic state of fear keeps all of those sentences heightened and has potentially some consequences. Mental health experts tell us that constant fear can short-circuit the response paths in your mind, thereby making it more difficult to regulate fear and make you afraid most of the time. That you have the sense of 
fear. Maybe it's a low-grade fear or anxieties most of the time. Persistent fear, they say, can cause headaches to become migraines, can actually take nervousness and turn them into panic attacks. They say that in some cases, fear can tamper with brain processes responsible for regulating nonverbal cues, emotions, and how we usually react to the information presented to us. This can affect our decision-making and result in intense emotions and impulsive reactions. Persistent fear can change how we act and behave towards those in our surroundings. So instead of responding as we normally would, maybe even logically calculated with discernment, we start making decisions more rashly, illogically, things that maybe we wouldn't normally do, but we do in places of fear. Now, you're asking, why are we having that conversation at Calvary? I mean, that sounds like maybe a clinical conversation you would have with a counselor somewhere. Well, I actually want to bring all of this conversation into your spiritual world. I think the Bible has a lot to say about these things. There's a danger when we reserve these conversations only for the quote-unquote professional counselor. You see, maybe you know this, maybe you don't. You are what's called a bipartite being. You are both spiritual and physical. And so if you constantly run to counsel that doesn't address you as both a spiritual and a physical being, their helps will be limited. And so we want to address what's happening to us physiologically as well as spiritually. And I think the Bible has a lot to say about these episodes of fear, not just moments of fear, but prolonged seasons and environments of fear. Now, what are some of those things that cause those sorts of fears to rise up in us? Well, several of those things are just when you feel threatened in your well-being, physically, maybe health, and there's a threat to the days ahead in which you become uncertain of what the future holds. So uncertainty, threats to our well-being, scarcity, will there be enough? Will I have what it takes? There's also these fears of being accepted, of wanting to be in the community, but feeling isolated from the community. There are threats come to us when we feel like we're a failure, that we're not doing all that we can do. And especially with this uncertainty, when things feel like it's out of our control, fear can creep in. Now, do some of those characteristics, threat to your well-being, scarcity, uncertainty, isolation, sound like characteristics of the environments in which we live in today? I think fear has permeated many of our lives, and we're just not aware of that. And now we're living in this place where we don't recognize that perhaps we're making decisions that are a bit more irrational, less logical, more frantic because of the environment we find ourselves in. Raise your hand in your living room if perhaps you've purchased something in the last two years that maybe you wouldn't normally have purchased or done something in the last couple of years that you don't normally do, it's not characteristic of you because of some, maybe you call it anxiety, but fear. I mean, this is why some of us have a lot of toilet paper in our basement. There was a scarcity at one point, and now when we see it, we just buy extras of it. This is why some of us have made financial decisions to purchase or not spend money or to even move locations, to leave certain friend groups, join other friend groups, leave churches, join churches because of uncertainty. There are some of us, perhaps you're one of them, that purchased their very first firearm in the last couple of years because of fear. 
And so what does the Bible have to teach us about how to handle fear? Because I'm going to tell you this, faith and fear are not incompatible. It's possible to be a woman, a man of faith, and yet experience fear. I mean, I know the t-shirt, 2020, faith over fear. But is that really true? Can you be a person of faith and still experience fear? We're going to look at two characters briefly that experience prolonged seasons of fear. One leads him to pretty much train wreck his life. He ruins relationships with his family, friends, spiritual community, relationship with God and with others. It's pretty much catastrophic. The other, experiencing very similar fears, turns into the Lord and has a very different outcome. So if you've got your Bibles, we're going to open up to 1 Samuel chapter 18. This is the story of Saul and David. Saul was the very first king of Israel, and he's actually the one in the story that has the most fear and makes the poorest decisions, which is kind of striking because Saul is selected as the first king and his outward appearance is kind of like the man's man, the one who has great strength and the one that shouldn't be rattled by fears in life. He's tall, dark, and handsome. You know, he probably looks just like me. Uh, Just kidding. But Saul comes from a good family. He has good resources. He has great physical strength. And in fact, he becomes the king, which means he has an entourage, a company of other people that are to serve him and protect him and make sure that he is safe. And what we see over and over is that Paul, or sorry, not Paul, but Saul, makes really bad decisions because of fear. He really is afraid of people. In fact, he makes some decisions that disqualify him as a king. At one point, Samuel comes to him and says, why did you do this, Saul? And Saul simply says, I was afraid. I was afraid of what the people would do. And Samuel says, because you did this, God is going to remove you from your place of king. And he's going to appoint another. God departs from him. And then this other is this young boy named David, a young shepherd out in the fields who gets anointed as king. And and David comes into his presence. You probably know this story very well. It's David and Goliath. David shows up to administer some resources to his brothers and hears of this great Philistine who threatens the people of God and blasphemes the name of God. And David says, why is no one doing anything about this? Who should be the one fighting Goliath? Should it not be Saul? He's the king. Should it not be him who at least maybe appoints a man to go and fight? But no, you find Saul afraid in his tents. And that fear in his leadership has permeated into the community. And now they're all afraid. And they tell David, we're all afraid of this Philistine. David says, I will fight him. And courageously goes and fights Goliath and defeats Goliath. And and Saul sees this great young warrior. And I think Saul says, I'm going to bring him into my company. This great warrior will be part of my company, those who lead certain parts of my army and have great success. And so he brings David in close, and David has great success in these battles. In fact, there's a a mantra that everyone gets to know. It happens inside the palace, inside the local community, on the fringes of the community, and even foreigners begin to sing this mantra. 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 7 says, And the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. I mean, you know 
people be talking when the ladies are singing about you. And here the ladies are singing, oh, Saul, he has taken down his thousands, but woo, David, David has taken down his ten thousands. And Saul hears this from people. He hears what the people are saying. And Saul, who is a person of fear, begins to see David as a threat. And Saul becomes afraid from David. Though David is his servant, though David is loyal to him, though David becomes family, Saul is afraid of David. Check this out. 1 Samuel 18, verse 12. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. Verse 15. And when Saul saw that he had great success, that's David, he stood in fearful awe of him. There's fear happening. He's feeling threatened, whether that's a real threat or not, from David. So then he actually has his daughter, Michael, marry David. Maybe it's this sense of keep your enemies closer. I don't know. But even that does not suffice him. So check out the end of 18 in verse 28. But when Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David and that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him, Saul was even more afraid of David. So Saul was David's enemy continually. Saul turns on and actually goes and goes against David, attacks David. It says, Every single day, Saul pursued David. David then runs out into the wilderness. See, Saul's fear starts ruining relationships with his daughter, Michael, with his son, Jonathan, with his close servant and friend, David. And then it just starts from there and goes into all these other different relationships that he's in. See, David runs to the priesthood, Ahimelech, in this place called Nob. And there he receives some nourishment, and actually he actually receives uh, some care there with other company members, and then he flees out into the wilderness. And Saul hears that David has been helped by Ahimelech. And so he calls the priest Ahimelech into his courts with the other priests, and he looks at him and he says, did you help and aid David? And Ahimelech says, of course I did, king. I always do. I have before. I've done this because he's your servant. He serves you. He's your son-in-law. I've inquired of him and supported him in times in the past, as you've instructed me to do. And Saul says, you shouldn't have helped David. And he tells, turns to his, the, the, the guards there. He says, because you helped David, then I'm going to have you killed. He turns to the guards and says, kill them. Now the guards look at Saul like, are you mad? We can't strike down the, le- the spiritual leaders of Israel. What are you thinking? You see, like there's this moment in which Saul is caught up in his fear. He's so enveloped in it that once his mind was once wise and discerning and logical, he's caught up in this fear, making rash decisions, trying to protect himself. And so the guards won't do it. But he turns to this spy, the one who ratted David out. His name is Doeg. And he says, Doeg, will you kill him? And Doeg puts to death 85 priests of Israel that day. See, this is the the fallout of one man's fear, is that he's ruining relationships with his family, 
friends, community, and even his relationship with God now because he's so struck by fear and doesn't know what to do with it. So Saul pursues David day after day after day. And then there's this final showdown. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 24. I'm not going to read four chapters to you. I encourage you maybe this week to read the whole story. It's rather amazing. But in chapter 24, the showdown happens. Saul catches up to David, but he doesn't even know it. So 1 Samuel chapter 24 says, When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all of Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wilderness rocks. Now he's recruited community members. 3,000 more men, 3,000 more families are involved in Saul's fear. And he came to the shepherd's fold by the way where there was a cave and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. And the men of David said to him, here is the day of which the Lord said to you, behold, I will give your enemy into your hand and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Here Saul unknowingly in a cave where David is hiding out, David could take his life at this moment. What does he do? Well, first, maybe a question to ask is, what's David thinking? Is David afraid? Now, some of us, knowing the story of David and Goliath and David's great conquests and David's victories, have this image of this man as this great person of faith in which there is no fear. It's like he's a superhero of sorts, an action figure in which when he steps into a moment that's fearful, it's like ice waters in his veins. Nothing rattles him. But that wouldn't be true. That wouldn't be true at all. Yes, David is a man of great faith, and yes, he has great courage, but he also experiences fear. David has been on the run and in a prolonged season of fear. He's lived in fear every morning, afternoon, and evening. Now, how, how do we know that? It's because David writes many of the Psalms that we have in our Bible. And these Psalms are like, a, like an inside look into journal entries of David. What was going on in his heart, in his relationship with God? And so he writes several Psalms, several journal entries in this season while he's being pursued by Saul. So go with me to Psalm 55. Psalm 55 is, is David confessing where he's at. Psalm 55, 1, David writes, Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint, and I moan because of the noise of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they drop trouble upon me, and in anger they bear a grudge against me. He says, my heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me and horror overwhelms me. This is David. This is David who defeated Goliath, who says at this moment, fear and terror and horror are overwhelming him. Remember when I told you that faith and fear are not incompatible? You can be a person of faith and still experience fear. 
This is true for David. If this is what you're experiencing, know this. You're not alone. You're not alone. You're not the only one who has a faith in God, trusts God, and at the same time experiences fears from uncertainties, from from potential harms. But what do you do with your fear? I want to show you what David does. David cries out to God. The first thing he does is he complains. That's the first thing I think you should do, is you should complain to God. God is a big God with a broad chest, and he can handle you coming to beat on his chest with your complaint. Remember, he says, I am restless in my complaint, and I moan because of these things. And he just says it as it is. He just names his fears and how he's feeling. He doesn't pretend to be doing better than he is. Sometimes we as Christians think it's better just to have this stiff upper lip of faith and pretend like it's all fine. David doesn't do that. He cries out to God and says, Oh, that I had wings like a dove, I would fly away and be at rest. I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. I would hurry to find shelter from the raging wind and tempest, this storm that's upon me. Have you ever felt like that? I just want out of this. If I could leave, I would leave. If I could move, I would move. I would get out of here. That's what David's saying. And then he names his threat in the psalm. He says, this isn't an enemy. I know what to do with enemies. No, this is a friend. He says, this is the one that I had worshipped with, I hung out with, I prayed with, I knew is now pursuing me. And so I think it's important that we start this first thing that David does, is we're honest about our fears. Do you know what you're afraid of? Bring that complaint to God. Complaining is speaking about your discontentment with the way things are, your griefs and your sorrows. Then you just need to name it. I'm really afraid of getting sick. Have you told God that yet? I'm really afraid of getting sick. I'm really afraid of, of getting somebody else sick. I'm really afraid of what the future of a country looks like. I'm really afraid if this party or that party has political persuasion or influence, where they would go, what they would do. I'm afraid of what they're possibly teaching my children. I'm I'm afraid of how the church is responding. I'm afraid of you fill in the blank. Have you told God, just naming it, this is what I'm afraid of. That's where we begin. But he doesn't just complain and then leave. No, he brings his complaint. And then the next thing he does is he calls out to God. Verse 16, but I call to God and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan and he hears my voice. He redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage for many are arrayed against me. He turns his complaint then to calling. Calling is the sense of presence. The reason you call someone or text someone or phone someone is so that you can enter into their presence or that you could have them enter into yours. Here David says, I'm coming into your presence. I'm calling, God, will you be present with me through this? And he doesn't just do it one time a week on Sunday. No, when does he call on God? It says evening, morning, and at noon, all the day long. Maybe you set a timer on your phone to go off in the morning, maybe in the afternoon and evening, three times a day, and you just put it on every single day. And when your phone vibrates, it just reminds you to pause in the middle of your life with whatever's going on and call out to God. Help, God, help me to see your presence with me. God, would you be present with me? 
I'm just, I'm directing my attention to you. This is why David's able to write other Psalms. They're so famous, like Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, right? The one who protects and provides for me. And though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Why is he able to say that? For you are with me. That's presence, that's calling. You're with me. Your rod and your staff, they, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me, like a place of respite in the presence of my enemies, David says. So that comes into calling. Lord, I wanna step into your presence. Help me to see your presence with me. That's the calling. So he is honest about his complaint. He then calls on the Lord morning, noon, and night continually. And then the last thing he does in this Psalm, check out verse 22. Cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. And then concluding with this, I will trust in you. The last thing he does is he casts. Casting is a sense of surrender, giving over this burden. So David then says, this is my complaint and I'm calling on you to be present and your presence is what I need because I need to give this over to you. I don't have the strength. I don't have the resources. I don't have the ability to control the circumstances, to remove these threats, but I know God, you, you are bigger, greater, stronger than all of this. He knows these words of God are true, that he would be with him, that his strength would be his strength. I think we need to hear the words of like the prophet Isaiah, where God tells his people, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you and sustain you in my righteous right hand. Those are the words we need to be comforted by. That's why we surrender these things to God. We give them over. That's a big difference between David and Saul. Saul is operating in his own strength, in his own discernment and wisdom. He's trying to control the situation, but David has surrendered it to God. So what's the end of the story then? Well, David in the cave, what does he do? Knowing that he's afraid, what does he do? He trims a piece of Saul's cloak off, and then Saul exits the cave to be with those thousands of warriors looking to kill him. And David, in faith, not in the absence of fear, but in faith, has courage to move towards risk. That's what courage is. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is the ability, in the moments of fear, by faith, to move towards risk. He steps out of the cave and calls on Saul. Says, Saul, Saul. And Saul turns around and says, David? David, is that you? He says, Saul, I'm not a threat to you. I'm your servant. I have served you and I would not harm you. And he shows him the piece of his garment. This is evidence. I could have killed you, but I didn't. I have preserved your life for I would not strike down the Lord's anointed. You turned to me and gave me evil and I have given you blessing. And Saul weeps, he's convicted of what he's done. And he asks David to forgive him, to preserve his life and not to harm any of his family members. And then David and Saul depart in peace. You see, both men experienced great fear. David turning his complaint, 
calling on the Lord's presence and casting his burden on the Lord was able to move by faith and courage towards the risk. And it's like he envelops, he like takes away Saul's fear and brings peace. That's what we can do as Christians. If we take these habits like David, and don't pretend like we're not afraid, don't pretend like there's not a real threat out there, don't pretend like all the world's fine, but go and complain and call and cast. We too can be men and women of great courage that by faith, even though we experience fear, move towards risk. And I think the last thing I would just tell you is this. David goes to the Lord, and the Lord doesn't immediately remove the burden, does he? Does it say, cast your burden on the Lord and he will take it from you? It'll just be removed? No, it doesn't say that. It says that he will sustain you. We have an incredible God who, for whatever reason, allows these moments to be in our life as formational moments of faith if we would come to him. He doesn't say he's going to take it from you right away. I mean, if he does, praise Jesus, thank you, God. But he does promise that if you come to him, he will sustain you. He will give you that supernatural strength. And so as we close, I just want to pray for you. And then maybe after I'm done praying, you would just remain in a posture of prayer. And you would take a moment and just cast this all on the Lord. That you would just name it in your living room. What is it that you're afraid of? And then ask God to help you see his presence in your life. And then surrender the situation to him. Saying, God, I can't control it. I don't have the strength. I don't have the wisdom and discernment as what to do. But by faith, I'm moving towards you. And if you call me to move towards risk, I'm willing to. For I know that you are with me. Let me pray. Father, I pray for my friends that have tuned in today. I pray that they would be honest about where they're at with you. Father, I pray that they would bring their complaint to you. What, what has brought this fear and anxiety in their life? And that they would beat on your chest. And then, Father, I pray that you would reveal to them your presence, how you have sustained them, cared for them, how you've fed them. In the last two years, how they've had food and provisions, and you've supplied health to them. Even through sickness, you've brought them through that. Father, I just pray that you would show them and reveal them your grace. And then, Lord, would you give them the supernatural strength to sustain them? I pray that your presence would be the sustaining strength to endure the valleys of death and despair and fears and anxiety that we would go through, not alone, but with you. It's in the mighty name of Jesus the Christ we pray. Amen.